the problem is oftentimes it doesn't really matter what, you know, what should be positive for gold and silver until those powers that be are ready to, you know, let it run when they position themselves and you get these big run-ups. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcade Economics, and we are recording on Monday, September 26th, as there is certainly some increasing volatility with things going on in the financial world. And fortunately, to join me to dig into some of these things today is Steve Cope of Silver Viper, one of the companies that is out exploring silver. And we're going to be counting on to meet the deficit that we see from the latest Silver Institute numbers. Uh, so with that said, Steve, great to have you back on the show as always. And how are you today, sir? I'm doing all right. You know, obviously we'd all like to see silver prices a lot higher, but um, it's the world that we live in and you know we're doing well. Um, excited to figure out if we can solve all the silver industries issues today. <laughs> well, it certainly is an interesting time because at least as we're recording today on Monday, silver price down 42 cents at 1850. Uh, although when we look at some of the news coming out, the British pound has been sliding as they cut taxes and a lot of volatility in the, the pound, um, a lot of volatility in the world. Last week, we saw the Japanese intervene buying their yen to support it against the dollar in the midst of this with the Fed hiking interest rates. We're seeing the dollar rally and Seems like a lot of confusion out there in the world, and silver has not picked up a bid to that as of yet. But any thoughts on the things that are going on now where I wonder if investors are just a little bit confused of how this all eventually gets resolved, but not getting any easier and curious uh, what you're seeing out there these days? I mean, there, there's obviously, like you said, there's lots going on that are very po should be very positive for gold and silver. Um, I mean, I've been in this industry long enough that, you know, we've always cried manipulation, manipulation, and everyone, you know, for years and years and years laughs. And, you know, that's what's frustrating is, you know, we've seen it now, you've seen these different banks and that get, you know, charged and have to pay these fines and different things going on. And the problem is oftentimes it doesn't really matter what, you know, what should be positive for gold and silver until those powers that be are ready to, you know, let it run when they position themselves and you get these big run-ups you know, like you saw in the last cycle where we touched $50 silver and we had 1900 gold, you know, gold broke over that briefly this go around, but you know, our, our new highs are going to be a little higher. It's just, we've got to be patient and wait for when the powers that be are going to position themselves to take advantage of these markets. Well, it's a certainly an unusual setup where you have the thing traded on the COMEX of a finite commodity that has, the ability in terms of the contracts to increase the supply. So the more I think about it some days, the more bizarre that seems in its own right. Yet we have, at least as I see it, the two primary buckets, where on one hand, there's the underlying supply and demand. And then, of course, we have <clears throat> conceivably a premium due to debt and currency uh, expansion We've seen some increase over the last couple of years with more attention coming onto the market in terms of people buying physical silver, which has helped. Yet, what, what do you see happening in terms of the underlying supply and demand? The Silver Institute, again, showing an imbalance there, but I wonder if it's going to be one of those two buckets where either something breaks 
And that could be a driver for the silver price higher or eventually if we see a widening gap and someone just not able to meet the demand. Um, any thoughts on those two? Well, I mean, like you say, if the, if, if the powers that be don't switch and switch sides, you're going to, what you're going to see is you're going to continue to see a bigger and bigger premium on the physical metal. You know, we've all, you know, we have all of us that are stacking and adding metal, you know, it costs a lot above spot. You know, it's, it's come down a bit as prices have moved down, but we're still paying a big premium above spot, but that's because our price is dictated by the paper market, which is how those people are able to manipulate the price. You know, they take one piece of paper and they lend out one ounce of silver a thousand times over, and now they create a massive market that they control. So either at some point we're going to change the law so they can't, you know, change the rules like they have multiple times, or, you know, like you say, they're going to flip flop and say, okay, it's time for us to make, you know, all those gains we're positioned now and moving on the way up. But like you say, the, the underlying factors that should dictate the price, like the demand deficits, especially that are just going to grow and grow exponentially as we move forward. Um, that's obviously a major one as more and more silver is being used and less and less silver is being found in mind in the world. Um, you know, with these price drops, you're going to start risking, you know, fall off from some of those producing mines because, you know, as copper and some of these other prices where silver is a byproduct of those mines start to struggle and not make money potentially, you know, then you're going to lose more supply and not be able to replace it with, you know, new high quality assets because there's less and less of those out there. So it's a ticking time bomb. It has to turn at some point. And at some point, you know, we've always talked about it. One of the things that, you know, the big silver producers need to band together. They need to do what the oil companies have done. They should be selling and they should be dictating the price instead of competing against each other and trying to, you know, take their jobs. If they could ever get together and say, no, this is what it costs us to produce. This is what we're going to sell for. This is the price, you know, take the power away from the banks you know, to be able to dictate and set the price of the metal and manipulate and control it and say, you know, fine, if you want to sell your paper, that's, you know, not worth what the physical is, then fine, sell it for that. But we're going to sell for this much. And then, you know, that'll let the industry take care of itself. Yeah. And you mentioned something in there that I think muddies the equation, because obviously you have the primary silver companies that have their uh, supply, their production costs versus a lot of it coming from the non-primary miners. And my understanding is that basically they're they're out digging their lead, copper, gold, zinc, and it's just whatever price that remained uh, for silver that the, the the silver byproduct that they, they pull out is just what they're going to put on the market and sell it at. Um, but you mentioned also that not getting easier to permit for some of these copper projects what have you been hearing in terms of that side uh, of the supply equation? Well, I mean, the biggest one is geopolitical and that's looking at, you know, like the Chile and the Peru and some of these other South American countries that, you know, Chile has gone to nationalizing mines. So you're not going to get anything new coming out of that country. They're not capable of building and developing and starting new projects there now and bringing on new mines. So again, and then what do they do with some of the existing ones? Do those start to wind down and shut down? The other thing is as costs and inflation are going, you know, through the roof still, you know, the, yes, the, these mines might've been making money a few years ago at lower prices, but as these costs go skyrocketing up and then you have metals prices coming back off, you get into this point where some of those projects may not, you know, they, they just won't be making money. And those companies may make the decision to pause production 
until we get back to a more favorable, you know, metals prices. So that's a big risk. And if that happens, you start to lose, you know, if it's a country like Chile and you start shutting them down, I mean, you're, you're getting, I don't know what Chile's numbers are, but I bet it's probably like, you know, 10% or something of the world's supply of silver. Peru's another 20 some percent. Um, you know, and those projects, those, that's a major portion of where the silver comes from. Mexico, you get some more of the like gold, silver, gold focused or primary silver deposits, but they're, they're going to struggle to make money. I mean, in our last big wave, the, the silver producers, if they're being honest, needed over $20 of silver 10 years ago to break even and make money in their minds. And, you know, as much as they've done a good job cutting costs and trying to make things more streamlined and, and doing things, inflation has happened. And look where costs have gone for fuel, for labor, for everything else over the last 10 years. And these companies need much higher numbers, you know, silver per ounce to really make, you know, a dent and to really do something impressive on their balance sheets. So we need the prices. They have to go up or you're just going to not have any production. And meanwhile, like you say, we've got this, green movement where we're going to have solar panels everywhere and we're going to be having everyone's driving an electric car and you already are running at a deficit and you barely you know start to make a scratch in that sector where but like a state like california says we're going to have all cars electric by you know in 10 15 years and bc there you know you can't even you can't even drive your tesla if you if you own one very far or you're waiting you know, multiple hours right now at the charging stations because there's only so few if you are going to go on a road trip and you've got to stop three times, you know, and wait in line sometimes on long weekends, you know, multiple hours just to get to a, into a charging station. So their infrastructure that's needed to support that and all of that infrastructure needs silver, it needs copper, it needs, you know, the other base metals, it needs even a little bit of gold. Like it's, it doesn't exist. Those metals aren't there. So we need new projects to come online. And again, to really take care of the new projects coming online, you need the prices a lot higher because you've got to start going down the totem pole and going to the you know projects right now that are mediocre or subpar, and but make them economic at a much higher at a much higher prices. And surely the government support for the mining industry is going to be forthcoming soon, right? It depends on which country. Some it is, some it isn't. But I mean, again, yeah, I think it's pretty. I I think all it's pretty. I mean, it's supportive in Canada for the most part. You know, the U.S. Certain states are certainly supportive. Other states, not so much. Mexico, you've got a federal, you know, government that, you know, understands they need mining, but they're, you know, they're more socialist. But that's a country that you're never going to touch, you know, mining and try and nationalize it because you would have, you know, that, that in itself could create a civil war in that country. Um, but a lot of these South American countries have gone to the far left and are willing to try and nationalize and slow, you know, this process down and are scaring a lot of, you know, the con the companies, you know, that like ours, not that we're focused in that part of it, but similar, you know, our peer companies that have been operating in South America and it's making it a harder place to work. Um, and a lot of them are taking second looks at, you know, starting trying to build, you know, explore and find a mine in those areas. So Again, it's just going to slow the process down of bringing on new projects and bringing new things online to, you know, make a go of it. Yeah, and even in some of the developed countries, we're seeing Germany nationalize some of their energy producers, which is certainly a little bit of a scary precedent, although a lot of unusual things going on there. And I think their uh, producer price inflation is, uh, yeah, I have that, I'll pull that up here. Especially uh, in Germany, where I think they remember the inflation concerns quite clearly. 
you see producer prices accelerated to 45% in August year over year. Um, so certainly a lot of inflation out there. And it it's interesting going back to silver where there was a note from Metals Focus, which provides the Silver Institute numbers. They were showing that a lot of the electronics and consumer products, you know, you're starting to build up inventory there, sales starting to slow down yet, as you mentioned, offsetting that we continue to see whether it seems feasible or not, these green mandates going forward. Um, so it, it's quite a complex environment right now. And yet everything I read continues to, to suggest that the deficit will be exacerbated going forward. Yeah. I mean, like, again, like I, I was talking to one of my buddies that's the general manager of a Toyota dealership here close by. And if you want an electric car right now, it's going to take you two to three years minimum to get delivery through Toyota. And I think most in, in his world, most of the other car dealerships are the same outside of maybe Dodge for whatever reason, they have a lot of products. I don't know what their production is, but you know, it's an empty lot. The cars that are there are bought and sold. And he's saying like, he's like, there's nothing we can do, you know, between, you know, these, the microchip shortages and the supply line issues and the lack of just product and, and to make a lot of this stuff. How are you going to, I mean, it's going to take a while, but you meanwhile, you've got these governments that keep ramping up and, you know, saying we're going green, we're going green, we're going to do this. So again, I mean, in our in our province in BC, you know, we we've got one dam called Site C that's going to come online that pr produces a bunch of power. But if we're going to go all electric, we need five or six more of those, and they're hard to permit and get done. And that's hydroelectric. I mean, again, that's cleaner energy than you're getting. Like you start talking about Germany now, we're going back to burning coal. <laughs> you know? yep. Meanwhile, they've shut down their nuclear facilities, which were much cleaner. So I don't know. I mean, the governments have their ideas and they have their their focuses, and a lot of stuff sounds good, and then when you actually look at things, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, in the time you've been doing this, is there any other period that you remember where you've seen similar dynamics? Or is it just this is the culmination of a lot of things building uh, over decades that have brought us to this point, and now we're finally about to see how it gets resolved? Um, or, or has this occurred in the past, uh, anything similar to this? No, I mean, there, yeah, there are, I mean, there are certainly periods that probably have similarities. There's definitely periods where the market felt similar, you know, where you just have this people scrambling 2008, you know, on the back end of real estate where people were just in sheer panic and going back to cash and trying to liquidate assets. And, you know, like, so I mean, I'm not saying we're in 2008, but the market itself feels a bit like that. Um, even briefly at the start of COVID in more recent future, I mean, I think we saw this over a shorter period of time, this panic and people rushing to, you know, the US dollar into cash to sit and try and ride out these storms. Um, but the rebounds behind those were always, you know, and, and going further back through history, you can look at multiple points of this where we were at, you know, low periods, 2015, I remember being a very scary period where there was zero investment coming in from the mining companies, there wasn't a lot of dollars out there for the, you know, the junior explorers. And then it turns and companies are hitting record highs the next year. So, I mean, again, as an investor, it's an opportunity, you know, whether that's investing in the physical metal, which we all, you know, the metrics more and more and more point have to go up. Um, or if you're looking at the mining companies, whether it's the producers or working your way down to the explorers, you know, based on their risk profile, there's a lot of money to be made investing if you have the capital to deploy out 
there and, and are able to be patient and just sit on your, your investments, you're going to do really well, but it's scary. And I understand that it's hard. Like people are, you know, a lot of people are struggling to make ends meet. And even, you know, though they've had the same full-time job, the costs have gone up so much for most people that it's hard to even feed their families and support them, you know, to never mind to start deploying capital into investments. So there definitely are similar periods. I mean, I'm not sure if it's identical. We've been hit by so many different kind of events here. I mean, no one can really remember a COVID time period that and what what that did politically and to people psychologically. But then, you know, you, you on the back end of that, you mix in this, you know, war between Russia and Ukraine and how that's affecting things. You know, Russia starts spouting off and threatening to fire a nuke at Ukraine and then the world reacting and saying like, well, that's going to end in a, in a like you're going to start a world war three so um it's and then there's been other events around us here on the back end of both of these i mean we had a trump era we've had a biden era and those two you know polar opposite <laughs> politically events in, in the, the US. whole sampling between <laughs> yeah. that and your <laughs> so and what what's it going to be well, you know we'll see what happens in the u.s moving forward but it's going to be i would say a polar opposite again of what biden's been like so I don't. I mean, it's just it's been a crazy geopolitical environment all over the world, and then you've got that ticking time bomb of China and what they're going to do. You know, are they going to start there? Are they going to go back and take Taiwan back and kick off that whole storm in the South China Sea as a power struggle between the U.S. and Japan and all these other countries in that area? It's it's a weird world we're in right now, and it's you know it's. I think historians will look back and be very. We'll study this last decade very carefully. Yeah. Uh, you know years from now but again the fundamentals are there for silver for gold for the other you know base metals they're needed obviously we know the governments are pushing for the green movement to continue and to grow and you know the mining companies have to make money they have to be making money to produce these metals so if nothing else if you ignore all the other noise all the other you know manipulation and everything else they're going to be selling, you know, at a profit to make money or their minds will be shutting down. And to do that, you need prices from now, you know, you probably need them to double, you know, as you move forward and we continue to have inflation and everything else, just, just to have them make a really good goal of it. A few years from now, you're going to need metals prices to be double at a minimum and probably a lot higher. Yeah, it, it sure is going to be wild to see how it gets resolved because, I mean, you've been talking a lot about the the underlying supply and demand fundamentals, yet, as you touched on as well a little bit, in the midst of all of that, I mean, we see this move of de-dollarization continuing. Russia and China obviously have indicated their lack of satisfaction with the, the dollar in here. India and Saudi Arabia discuss rupee real trade, so... Interesting to imagine what things would look like if you really have an escalation of these at the same time, and um, perhaps we'll we'll see how that shakes out. But a lot, while the price has not moved yet, certainly a lot of factors out there still not suggesting an easy path forward. Yeah, and I mean, you have India there. I mean, India is part of the you know they're part of the BRICS nation that wants to get involved with Russia, and you know that. That to me, out of everything over the last few months is, you know, having that announcement that the here they are, Russia, China, we're going to get away from the dollar, we're going to, you know, create our own reserve currency between our countries that we're going to trade on. And the media attention that that got in the US and Canada was neg like negligent to zero, <laughs> like it was nothing. 
you know, that that should have been a major driver for precious metals and precious metals prices in itself, because you've got it yet. You've had a U.S. dollar index that's continued to go up and up and up and up and up since those. And the world's waking up and saying, we don't need the U.S. dollar, you know, and, and a, the sad thing is a lot of the people watching today, you know, yeah, they've done well. They'll be holding gold and silver, but it's going to hurt their livelihood <laughs> if the U.S. dollar loses its reserve status. So, you know, it's one thing to cheer for it because, you know, we're positioned better than most in North America to ride out that storm. It's not great for our lifestyles. It's going to, you know, we're already, you know, two countries that are way over borrowed personally across the board and you lose that reserve currency or that U.S. dollar as the, you know, the world's currency. And it's not great for our livelihoods. People are going to take an absolute beating and, you know, people lose jobs and things will change and costs will continue to go way up. And it's not exactly what we're cheering for, but it is certainly a major catalyst that should drive gold and silver much higher. And those particular countries that want to replace it obviously have been some of the biggest buyers of gold backing, getting ready for this currency move to support their reserve currency and back it by a group of precious metals. So it doesn't surprise me that other countries are looking at it. It should scare the U.S. that Saudi Arabia is looking at doing trade in that because that's a major ally of the U.S. Um, so, again, it it should be an eye opener to people. The media doesn't want to cover that or talk about that. But, you know, if you're reading and seeing between the lines, there is a major shift happening in this world. And it's, you know, frankly, it's going to replace the U.S. dollar. Well, it's a really good point you mentioned there. I was talking with a friend about that the other day in it is a, a bit of a challenge where it's not like you want to be rooting for bad things in the world. And although I think it's the, the fact that we see some of these concerns out there that brings us into silver and kind of an odd uh, mindset at times where not that you want these things to happen, but at least looking at what's out there and trying to prepare some sort of plan in place, which I think is what brings people to silver and, maybe is what uh, prevents other people from wanting to look at silver. And I've wondered for quite a few years, if maybe similar to the housing bubble collapsing until something collapses, most people don't want to consider the possibility of that happening. And perhaps we'll see that play out again this time as well. Although Steve, before we wrap up on this one, uh, perhaps you could give folks an update on silver Viper and how things are coming along there and, any recent developments you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, um, no, Silver Vipers continue to move along. We're, we're paused between drill programs right now, but it's giving us a fantastic opportunity to really dive in and understand the deposit. You know, since we took over and made our discovery at El Ruby, we've been drilling straight, and now we finally really get to focus on the mapping and sampling and understanding how all these different structures move together. It's allowed us to find a lot of new targets that we previously didn't know about that are, you know, potential for new discoveries, which are always great because your share price obviously tends to respond very positively when you make a new discovery. So it's been really interesting for us to get to take this breather, spend time focusing on on bringing this whole package together and understanding of the entire, you know, massive system that we have here at the La Virginia Project, you know, like the image you've got up there right now, like that gap between El Oriental and El Ruby you know, that's multiple kilometers long and finding new structures in there, finding stuff east of that El Ruby where we have the, to two kilometers to the east where we have El Molino in the bottom of that Arroyo and up the hill on both sides and looking at a parallel structure trend that's coming through the project. 
Um, you know, this was our starting resource that we based around, you know, an open pit model, which is what the state's known for open pit heap leach mining. And we're sitting with a resource that's even on the gold grade, the average open pit heap leach mine in the state of Sonora operates about half gram gold average grade. And we've got, you know, a major silver component on top of that, that also looks like it'll leach and become part of that. So we're going to be operating it, you know, double the gold grade of the average open pit heap leach mine in the state of Sonora. We've got a nice starting resource there. And most of those, you know, most of those resources started about a half million ounces gold equivalent and we're already there. So, and we're sitting around 700,000 gold equivalent ounces between gold and silver. So again, we're off to a great start. We've expanded upon that resource. That resource came out, you know, like you said in 2021, we've expanded the El Ruby deposit by at least 300 meters to the South um, as well as to the North and to the East. So again, that resource, we'll probably be doing a new one next year. Uh, we'd like to do one more you know, major drill program before we step into that. We want to test out Ruby at depth and uh, depth and start defining you know an underground resource. So I mean it's a very exciting time for us as a company. I think we're well positioned for when metals prices do rebound. That you know it's a share price that's going to you know go up quite dramatically. But you know we know where we are in this market right now. But if anyone has any further questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to myself or Alicia. Um, you can email us at info at Silver Viper Minerals or at all the other information's on the website as well. Yeah, and Steve, I hear you will be joining us at Silverfest 3, which we're going to be doing online on November 12th, which is a Saturday. So it will be good to have you there. And certainly if people have questions, be able to catch up with you there or through Silver Viper Minerals. And fortunately, Steve was kind, around, kind enough to stick around and record a brief update, a little more detail about some of the project, which is coming your way now.